What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Welcome to the Brady Quinn Football Show starring Will Brinson. <laughs> hey, that's right. We don't need, we have, we are recording, uh, due to the magic of, um, uh, technology and, uh, and, and Brady just wanting to be more involved. You're like, I want a bigger piece of this podcast. I want to recap Monday Night Football. I said, all right, Brady, fine. We both have small children, but if you want to stay up, let's do it. We're going to talk about the incredible game featuring Aaron Rodgers and CJ Beathard. Yeah. Yeah, C.J. Beathard, who who played, I'd have to say, one heck of a game. And and might I add, we start need to start giving Kyle Shanahan some credit. I know it doesn't show up in the win-loss column, much like last year, but there's at times I think they stay in games because of the scheme that he comes up with to get some guys open. Uh, but, look, this this 49ers team, they're, they're coming along. I mean, their defense isn't too bad, too, to force Buckner's kind of a force to be reckoned with. Mar- Marquise Goodwin's really developed. I think they gave the Packers all they could handle at home tonight. Even yeah. though Rodgers still looks a little gimpy, they held their own. Yeah, yeah. You think they gave them their, gave them all they could handle? But I mean, I think it's it's interesting to know. And I don't want to turn into a let's bash Mike McCarthy or anything. But uh, and you might not even want to do that. But C.J. Beathard, sixteen of twenty three for two hundred forty five yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. It felt like on most of the throws that he made, on most of those sixteen completions. And by the way, the interception could have been a game sealing touchdown pass to Marquise yeah. Goodwin. Um, it felt like guys were running pretty wide open, and I think that's a big. T- Testament to what Kyle Shanahan does best, which is get these guys open. And even if they, you know, even if they weren't wide open, he was giving them at least a chance. And whereas with Aaron Rodgers, it felt like a lot of times, at least in the second and third quarter, Brady, that he was consistently, uh, I don't know, like having to, having to duck pressure and then force a, force a tight window throw into the left or right side of the field. I mean, am I, am I off on that? It just, it just felt like the offense stagnated for the Packers and it kept rolling and getting better for the 49ers. Well, if you thought tonight's performance that this off the offense was was stagnated, I think you haven't been watching the entire year then because it was much different than what we've seen in, in recent weeks. They they changed personnel a number of times. You know they've got three very capable tight ends, obviously highlighted by Jimmy Graham, but Lance Kendricks as well. He's a part of that. Um, Mercedes Lewis. I mean, they should go more of that thirteen personnel package, especially considering they struggle to run the football. Like that's a group that I don't know why they don't use that more, but they did a little bit tonight. Um, they did mix in some different formations. They mixed in a couple trick plays too. There was there was going to be what looked like a double reverse, but uh, I believe Mike Montgomery got the football and then he kind of got blown up before he could actually pitch the ball back, which is uh, a wise decision on his part. Not have to make a bad play worse. Uh, but I actually thought they, they did a pretty good job of scheming some things up to get some guys open. Jimmy Graham, I thought, had some separation at times. Devontae Adams uh, was able to find some open space. So um, this might have been Mike McCarthy's best game. And that being said, it came down to a game-winning field goal uh, in the final seconds. Yeah. Wait, were you on the Colorado-Stanford or Colorado-USC call this weekend? I was. I okay, because you just said Mike Montgomery. And I think you meant Ty. Mike, yeah, Mike McCarthy. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. You said Mike Montgomery instead of Ty Montgomery. Oh, time McGuffey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah it's Mike McIntyre. Mike so, McIntyre yeah. is the. We're just mixing all the names. Right, 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 right. I was I was yelling Mike Montgomery this Saturday for some reason while watching that game. Colorado's offense, by the way, uh, stinks. Uh, it's terrible without their best player, Lavisca Chanel, who will be playing on Sundays in about a, a couple years. Yeah, couple years. Yeah, but it's not a very good offense. Uh, anyway, I, yeah, I mean, look, I I thought op- the opening couple of drives. 
they had dudes running wide open, and that's what yeah. you want. Like, if you have guys running wide open, Aaron, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, with a minute and 15 seconds left in the first quarter, was averaging 22 yards per passing attempt. And it looked <laughs> like, I mean, seriously, like, it looked like the Packers were going to steamroll them. They scored in, they should have scored in two plays. Aaron, uh, Aaron Jones was ruled out. They ended up scoring in four plays on what, what was a passing touchdown, but ruled a rushing yeah. touchdown by Ty Montgomery. Um, I mean, I, look, this is a, this well, is a, so, did you see the first play of the game? Yeah. I mean, it, it was a boot to his left, which not saying that they don't do that uh, every once in a while, but given his, his, his knee injury, uh, they made a big fuss about him wearing a bigger knee brace just, just for the support and for stability. I'm not sure why that gets legs. That's talked about so much. Because <laughs> um, it seemed like Aaron Rodgers was moving fine, but um, look, they, they did a number of bootlegs to the left, which when you have a right-handed quarterback, you don't typically see that as, as much. And I think it caught San Francisco off guard. Because a lot of the bootlegs you saw from them, because they utilize that a decent amount, usually are to the right. Easier throw, and especially if you get pressure, if you're going to your left, it's almost impossible to get that throw off. You're probably going to take a sack. If you're going to your right, typically you can get it off, and you could still find a way of at least throwing for incomplete, or if it's not, maybe dumping down to the flat. Uh, but, but that was what kind of sparked it for me, was them utilizing some of the bootlegs early on, which I don't know if San Francisco was surprised he went to his left or surprised that he was to be, he was able to be as mobile as he was given the knee injury. Did you like the Kurt Schilling-esque uh, bloody elbow that Aaron, Ro- Aaron Rodgers was rocking to? I mean, like, he had, like, a knee brace, a bloody elbow. Uh, he's got, you know, Equinomius St. Brown of Notre Dame fame and Marquise uh, 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 Scanting Valdez, or Valdez Scantling of NC State fame and USF fame uh, catching passes for him. But I thought the two throws... I mean, just lasers. One was the back shoulder throw to St. Brown and then the touchdown pass to Devontae Adams. I mean, that was, it was quintessential Rodgers to basically put this team on his back and, and come away with a win. Uh, do, do, look, looking forward, just looking forward for these teams, at least for the Packers. I don't think the 49ers are going to be involved in the playoff conversation. I think you're right. I think they will play spoiler and be very annoying for other teams. Uh, for the Packers, they are at the Rams. Well, I guess they have their, they have their bye next week. Then they're at the Rams. Patriots at the Patriots, Dolphins at home, at the Seahawks, at the Vikings. That is a brutal schedule. Is this defense good enough, Brady, to keep them in NFC North and NFC contention? I would have said yes coming into this game. I'm not so sure after what I witnessed tonight. I mean, coming into the game, they're fourth in yards and tenth in, in scoring, which is it's saying something considering where this defense has been. Um, but obviously the addition of Mike Pettin as their defensive coordinator has, has really helped as well as an infusion of young talent. Uh, but I don't know now. I mean, the only saving grace is the Packers do have a bye. So Aaron Rodgers should be getting closer to being 100% healthy. Any of these issues that they are having, they will hopefully be able to fix before this run of back-to-back road games and go up against two of the best, if not the top two teams, in my opinion, in the NFL right now in the L.A. Rams and New England Patriots. Uh, all right, let's talk about those Patriots really quickly, and um, I like that nice, quick. We'll get through the Monday night game. Don't worry, we don't have to lean on too long. That was, I will say this real, real quickly though. The primetime games that we have gotten this year have been exceptionally better than the primetime games we got in 2017. I think that matters in the perception of how people view the NFL as a whole. Like, like when people are, oh, the ratings are down because the game stinks. Like, there's a lot of scoring. These games are fun. And the prime time games matter because everybody's in one place sort of watching those games. Do you get that sense as well? 
Well, first off, I didn't. I haven't seen anything where the ratings were down this year. I no, no, the ratings. Up. No, the ratings are up. I'm saying that. Yeah. I'm saying it's a false narrative that the ratings were down for various reasons. Yeah, of course, everyone wants to throw out these false narratives about the ratings and, and the sky is falling for the NFL. Um, and they'll call in and they'll complain about the roughing the passer rule. And they're never gonna. They're never gonna watch again. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they're like gambling on it or talking at the water cooler at work with their friends. So uh, I, I never believe any of the people that say that. But uh, the primetime games have been have been pretty solid so far. I mean, I know it's early, um, and this time of the year, typically you kind of see, I, I would say, more competitive games because we haven't seen teams eliminated from the playoffs. And, and usually towards the end of the season when teams are banged up and they're eliminated from the playoffs, that's when they kind of start packing in and making plans for, for post-January 1, 2019 uh, to kind of hang out and what, what their postseason schedule will be. Um, so, you know, I, I expect that right now. I mean, heck, Fox paid a bunch of money for Thursday night football, mm-hmm. and I, I think they tried to slate those games to be more competitive than what they've been in the past, too, although the next three weeks I think look like stinkers. But um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's more of a product of, like, this early in the season. Typically you see a little bit more of competitive games because teams are still trying to figure out their identity. Don't you disparage Josh Rosen and, and Case Keenum matching up on Thursday night football? That's going to be a, a real shootout. It's going to be a bunch of foul balls. All right. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> it's going to be a 20 pitch count, a bunch of foul balls at the plate. <laughs> like watching a Brewers and Dodgers game for nothing going to be the final. <laughs> um, there was a lot of scoring on Sunday night football. If you had, to, you mentioned that you think the two best teams in football are the Rams and the Patriots. Are you? Firmly convinced now that New England is better than Kansas City uh, in in the AFC hierarchy after watching them uh, beat beat the Chiefs in that shootout on Sunday night. You know what's funny about that game is I'm not necessarily convinced that they're better. I just think they're situationally better. If you look at time of possession, red zone, third down, uh, rushing yards allowed by the defense, rushing by the offense, like in every single category, turnover margin, in every single category, you'd want to win. They won. They didn't even have a penalty in the game. Like or a punt. Every single, or a punt. Every, what's that? No penalties, no punts in the entire game. So, so think about like every single stat that you'd go and you say, all right, we're going to check off all these boxes. Here are our goals. Here are our objectives for the game. New England won. Yet they barely won the game. They only won by three. So I, I don't know what that's saying. I, I don't know if that's, that's saying that Kansas City is that good and they can overcome some of those mistakes that Patrick Mahomes made in those games. Um, to, to get ahead or to make it a ball game, or if it's that's just the style of game that New England plays, as we've seen through so many of their Super Bowls, they play it tight, they play it close to the vest, but typically they're always in control, and they always end up on top at the very end of the game. Yeah, I mean, again, if you said we won't punt the ball once, we won't have a single penalty, Tom Brady will throw 340 passing yards and go 24 or 35. Sonny Michelle will rush for 100 yards and have two rushing touchdowns. Um, and, uh, and we'll have 31 first downs. You would say, I'll take the Patriots minus 42 because they just blasted somebody and they, and they snuck out of there with a 43-40 win. Um, is it, is it, all right, so is it, in 2018, is it a problem to be a NFL team that, is solely reliant on an explosive offense and a questionable defense that just needs to buck up in the red zone, or can these can these teams meet again in the AFC Championship? That sounds like Big Twelve football has entered into yeah, uh, yeah. the NFL level at this point, right? <laughs> just just get off the field in the red zone, force field goals, and then let your offense go to work and try to get some turnovers. I mean, that, that's literally the objective in the Big Twelve. It's what it sounds like, and that's why I feel like it's a good fit for Patrick Mahomes because he's very aware of that. Um, so he's okay with, with his defense giving up a bunch of points, and he's accustomed to being in shootouts. I actually think that probably plays uh, to his strengths and to his advantage. 
I think it's it's what's ultimately going to bite Kansas City down the stretch because as good as Patrick Mahomes is, my biggest question is, like the interception he threw when they were in the red zone, he took a shot, so I believe it was Kelsey, um, and he had a guy hanging on his back but threw an absolute laser and almost fit it in but ended up getting picked off. That decision is the one that you've just got to grow from and realize that I got to throw this away. I got to take a sack. I got to figure out another option where I don't turn the football over and take away points uh, from our team. Yeah. And I don't know that he's ever going to learn that lesson only because I got to be honest with you. My, that was my first thought. And my, then my next thought was, you know what though? How many guys can even get that throw off and then make it that accurate of a pass where it damn near got it, it, to, to Travis Kelsey through two defenders. Like, He's, he, he should be confident enough because he's probably one of the only quarterbacks that can even make that throw. So it's either going to be he's going to continue to make those sort of mistakes that you know, I, I, I always kind of look at Brett Favre that way. Like he was one of the all-time greats, but there were some interceptions he'd throw that make you pull your hair out. And ultimately, you know, he won a Super Bowl, but he probably was talented enough to win more, if not maybe for some of the mistakes that he made in his career uh, with various teams, whether it was Green Bay or, or Minnesota. Uh, I don't know if he was as good with the Jets, but – um, that, that's kind of how I remember his career. I think Patrick Mahomes has all those same intangibles, all that ability. It's just he's going to have to grow and become a, a little bit smarter player because that was his M.O. at Texas Tech. And so far, I think that's kind of been his, his, his M.O. with Kansas City. He just hasn't been forced to be in many of those scenarios yet. Uh, he led the league in interceptions with the Jets with 22. Uh, also had 22 passing touchdowns. He was really good out of the gate. I like that you don't remember that. You were playing then, right? So you weren't like worried about... Weren't you playing then? Yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. I actually played against Brett Favre in his first start for the Minnesota Vikings back in 2009. Oh wow! Had a be- technically had a better game than him, but didn't have a better <laughs> didn't have a better game than Adrian Peterson, who went off for like 270 some yards that game. You guys lost 34 to 20, and let's just test your memory recognition here. I know it's very good. Uh, 25 carries, 180 yards, and three touchdowns for Adrian yeah. Peterson. Uh, he may have like literally thrown one of our cornerbacks into the, the third row of the stands, <laughs> like from the sideline. You actually, abs- you did outplay Brett Favre. 21 to 35, you. 205 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Favre was 14 to 21, 110 yards, and one touchdown. You were sacked yeah. five times, so you can blame. Um, Oh my gosh. You can blame that was Joe one Thomas. of the hardest hits I've ever taken. It was one of the first series I I remember dropping back and it was uh the Kevin Williams. He absolutely just gave a little quick inside rip move to one of our guards and as I drop back I'm kind of looking to the left to go through my progression. I barely even have my my right back foot hit the ground and all of a sudden Kevin Williams is on top of me and we're 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 turning horizontal. And next thing I know, he's, he's, he's laying on top of me, and I'm doing my best to hold on to the football. Like, barely felt it coming, maybe two seconds after the ball was snapped. Not even a shot to get that ball off. And that was pretty much how the rest of the game went. The, uh, the game log here shows that you were sacked for nine yards on that play, which is yeah. a, that means he was on you pretty quickly if you got sacked for nine yards. Uh, so I, man, sorry to bring up the bad memories now, but now I want to see if they got a, uh, Oh, no, they have a Google image of Brady Quinn being sacked by Kevin Williams. Ow! This looks yeah. really painful. I, I would actually... That one, actually, that you talked about getting depleted, when I went back and watched it, I'm pretty sure my feet did actually come up off the ground. Like, that could be under the category of getting depleted. Are we are we good enough friends where I can text you this picture now, or is that... Or is oh, that, of course. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll text you while we're doing the podcast. Um, I, I like the... <laughs> that looks like it really hurt. Uh, all right, so, yeah, I mean, like, I tend to, I tend to agree with you that Patrick Mahomes... 
Because if I had the physical ability to put throws into spots like that, I would, I mean, like, I would do it. I wouldn't have, I don't think, I don't think there are very many people who have the mental capacity to overcome their physical abilities in that sense. Aaron Rodgers is one of the few guys who, who seems to be willing to kind of take it, not take his foot off the gas, but, but, you know, willing to avoid the trouble. Mahomes, that's why Mahomes got the Brett Favre comp and why he, why he's probably willing to, to do that. And you're right. I think down the stretch, uh, it could certainly get them into trouble. Um, he was drafted very high. And you know who else in the AFC West might be drafting a quarterback very high if things don't play out well this season? The Oakland Raiders. I have uh, two questions for you on the Raiders. One, what do you think about the Raiders going to London on a Friday before a <laughs> Sunday game? So, you know, I don't know if they left on Friday they, or they, if they arrived. They, they, they left at 11 p.m. on Thursday, and right. so they are, but from Oakland, obviously, and arrived. Right. Uh, you know, 22 time zones later in London, um, I, I think Friday morning or Friday, uh, early Friday. So here's my experience. Um, we, I was with the Denver Broncos in 2010, and we flew over Thursday late in the day. It ended up being a red-eye, though, so we got in Friday morning. And I remember talking to my, my girlfriend, then now wife, um, she's an Olympic gymnast, and she said, well, one of the things you know in international travel is you never want to compete on the third day after traveling. I said, well, why is that? She goes, that's when you feel your worst. You haven't adjusted to the time zone yet. So we're playing the San Francisco 49ers. They happened to have played Carolina the week before, so they flew right over from that game on Sunday um, over to London. So they've already been there for almost the entire week. They've been living it up, you know, touring around, going to Harrah's, that big ball, <laughs> saw the Tower of London, and went through the Eye of London and saw Big Ben and all that. And we're just getting in there Friday morning, and i got to be honest, we got in, we went to check into our hotel. I, I laid down because I think we had like 45 minutes before our first meeting. I thought I had fallen asleep for like eight days. And I get up groggy as hell. I, we, we go to our meetings. From there, we go to some cricket field to like warm up and do a walkthrough. Everyone felt like garbage. So the next day we get up, kind of feel a little bit better, but not great. And sure enough, game day. Guys are walking in like, what happened? Like, oh, we had boy. been out all night on a bender, and maybe some guys had been. <laughs> um, I had not, but I, I felt like garbage, and, mo- and most of the rest of our team did as well. And then we ended up playing this, this 49ers team that was rested, adjusted, and, and they basically kicked our ass. So I, I think that's just a recipe for disaster. I'm not shocked at all that they absolutely laid an egg over there. Not only one for the way that they've been playing, but just to the travel and the decision behind that. So you're, I mean, you're living in Denver at the time too, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, I mean, that's, I mean, that has to make a difference because of the, so this Huge week, difference. but this week the Chargers are going over there and playing the Titans. And that means that the Chargers are going to be playing at I, what I think is 630 their time. I mean, how, right. how big of a problem is that if you're a player and you're trying to, I mean, you're, you're used to regimented schedules and, and yeah. operating a certain, um, you know, uh, playing at a certain time, usually probably, you know, 1, 1, 125 p.m. or 105 p.m. your time on the West Coast. What's it like playing at 6 a.m.? It's, it's incredibly difficult. And, and here's the thing is, it, it's the highest level of competition for football, right? Yeah. So those little margins of difference in your sleep habits and how rested you are and everything else, your, your circadian rhythm, as they call it, it ends up making the difference. I mean, everyone's looking for an edge. Everyone's looking for these little things, whether it's their diet or sleep and, and their recovery. 
um, to find edges so they can you know improve their level of play. Well, obviously it's going to impact it then, right? If you're traveling all those time zones. I mean, it, it did then. It, it has still now. We haven't seen a team, by the way, travel through two time zones for Thursday night football and win a game. That's, On Thursday night football, yeah. teams that have to travel through two time zones to play are have not won a game yet. So it goes to show you uh, how how effective you know your sleep or lack thereof can be uh, for a team and in those games. But you know what it is? It's really the cheap ass owners. Like if your <laughs> owner's cheap and he doesn't want to go over early in the week because he doesn't want to spend the extra money at the hotel and all that, that's on him. Like as much as it's on the players and the coaches for how they perform, it's still on that cheap ass owner if he's going to wait to go later in the week instead of taking care of his team and going earlier. Yeah, because like I don't get why and John Gruden. The quote that John Gruden had, and we mentioned this on the podcast yesterday, so I don't want to rehash it completely. But John Gruden was basically like uh, he said he flew over before their trip. He said he flew over to Belgium to see his son Deuce uh, Gruden, who's a, a gigantic piece of meat, uh, in, a, in, a, in a weightlifting guy. He is. He's just huge. In a weightlifting competition. And he said he had vertigo for a month. So he's like, I'm just going to fly over on Friday and call plays on Sunday. This should be perfectly fine. I can't imagine what yeah. will go wrong. Um, it, it looked like he had vertigo and he kept leaving Colton Miller one-on-one with Frank Clark. That worked out well. <laughs> right. So what? All right, okay. I don't think that anyone would suggest that the Raiders are being intelligent with the way they're operating right now. Um, <laughs> but should they be thinking about trading Amari Cooper? Should they be thinking about trading Carl Joseph? Should they be thinking about going in a different direction and maybe uh, drafting a Justin Herbert or Will Greer with a top pick and getting rid of Derek Carr? Is this is this all smart or is this all uh, John Gruden has a ten million dollar a year contract for a decade and they can't get rid of him? Yeah, I think they can't get rid of him. He can do whatever he wants, and, and he's doing whatever he wants, right? I mean, already right now we're looking at him kind of putting together his own little scouting department, supposedly that's separate from Reggie McKenzie. He's doing his best to get rid of all of his first-round picks. He got rid of Cleo Mack. He's shopping Amari Cooper. He's shopping Carl Joseph. Uh, I would be shocked if the Amari Cooper trade didn't happen. I've been hearing that there's been some teams that have offered him maybe a two, uh, but so far not a one, and, and the reason being why he wants a one is because he feels like he lost out on the Cleo Mack. Like, the optics look bad, and so he really wants to make up for it, and he wants a team to overpay for Amari Cooper at this point, who maybe hasn't lived up to um, getting traded for a first-round pick. Uh, but, but the point is this. I mean, John Gruden is already doing what he wants. I think it comes down to not so much him drafting a quarterback after the year. Like, look where John Gruden's had success. Brad Johnson with the Tampa Bay Bucks, Rich Cannon with the Oakland Raiders. He needs a veteran guy. Who's that veteran guy? Go get Joe Flacco. Ooh. I, gotta, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense in my mind. He's working with Marty Morningwig, which is a West Coast system. He's having a solid year. They drafted Lamar Jackson. Ozzie Newsom isn't there anymore. After this year, you still have him under contract for, I think, two or three more years. So you wouldn't even need to extend him. That would be a guy that would make a lot of sense. Now, I'm not giving up on Derek Carr. Although I don't think what's happened the past couple of years uh, as far as his development or the lack of his development, but at the end of the day, um, he's not being put in a position to succeed. They're not surrounding him with talent. Their defense has been awful because of all the change and turnover at defensive coordinator. And, you know, at this point, when you put a rookie left tackle out there who, you know, I don't want to say it was a project, but I think everyone knew he needed to put on more weight or, or mass to become stronger, and he wasn't a finished product by any means when he was drafted. Uh, that's why some people felt like maybe he was overdrafted, but more because of his upside down the road. You've got to protect him. Put a tight end in there to help chip or at least, 
you know, give Frank Clark a little wider angle, give Colton Miller an extra half second, or chip with the running back. I mean, that's that's all coaching. That's on him um, for putting Colton Miller in that spot and really putting his quarterback in that position. And not to mention that they took a aging, um, and I, I'm scared because Donald Penn is a big man, so I don't want to say this wrong, but an aging large man who has played left tackle for what, most of the last 10 years and moved him over to right tackle and, and expected him not to get injured trying to play a completely different side and then stuck a rookie on the left tackle. It, it, it didn't – It I don't know. To me, it seems like you're kind of inviting some issues. I, I don't know. Derek, well, that, that, that hardly ever works, too. I mean, right. sometimes it does, but it takes time. Like People don't realize you know, it, it's, it's literally like doing something backwards. Like, go brush your teeth with your opposite arm. You know, or your non-dominant arm. Like it, it feels weird. It feels funky for a little bit. Uh, imagine having to do that at a high level, or at the highest <laughs> level, and actually to maintain your job. Like kicking with the other feet and all that, and, and trying to find your balance and trying to work out your punch. Um, all that stuff. It's it's incredibly difficult to do. And you're doing it with guys bearing down to you. That's how somebody like from Notre Dame, like Quentin Nelson, ends up flying yeah. backwards. And um, and I, I'm only mentioning. I, I really don't think it's that big a deal. I think he got a little tripped up. But Leonard Williams, um, I, I I said I'd mention it on Twitter, so I'm going to mention it now. Uh, was it was it Quentin Nelson's Notre Dame upbringing that caused him to get blasted into oblivion? First off, uh, he was tripped up. That had everything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and it's a little bit difficult when you know you look at Quentin Nelson coming from Notre Dame. Right? I, I love Quentin Nelson, by the way. I, no, I, he's a great player, yeah. and, he, and he's going to be. He, he is. A, he's, he's a good player, and he's going to be a stud for the rest of his career. But yeah. when you're on a team that has no running game or the ability to run the football because mm. you're always down and playing from behind, and you're just constantly in pass pro. Yeah, you're going to get bowled over every once in a while because, unfortunately, you can't be offensive. You're, you're purely in a defensive posture, always backing up and always having to absorb those hits. So that's the unfortunate reality of playing offensive line for the Indianapolis Colts is they're going to be playing from behind a lot. They're going to be chucking the football around the field, and those linemen are just going to be getting teed off on. Uh, we mentioned this as something we want to talk about, so let's get to it. All right, first, actually, I want to ask you, is Adam Thielen a top-five wide receiver in the NFL? Oh, man. Production-wise, stats-wise, yes, but no. Uh, I mean, look, he's been the, the, the beneficiary of other teams putting their better cornerbacks on Stephon Diggs, or if they're going to double one, it's probably Diggs. And also, they've got Kyle Rudolph. So there's a couple of guys they're going to pay attention to, and I think that's kind of helped open some things up for him. You know, that being said, I don't want to take anything away from what he's accomplished. Um, he, he's done a tremendous job. I mean, it, it's been historic and especially thinking about where he came from, you know, being an undrafted free agent out of college and really earning his way to this point. So um, st- statistics or uh, production-wise, you know, he's he's definitely up there. But as far as top five in the league, no, um, not, not even close. I, and by the way, the most impressive guy that doesn't get enough attention. Michael Thomas. Is, yes, yep. thank you. Yep. Well, 46 receptions on what, 49 targets? He's insane. Are you kidding me? And his route running's off the charts. His, I mean, he's, he's, he's incredibly and, 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 reliable. And by the way, who's their number two? No, I mean, it's Ted Ginn. Exactly. Right? Or like, Trayvon like, like, Smith, yeah. That, that, that's the whole point is there's no one that comes close to Like, if you look at Thielen and then, you know, Diggs and Rudolph, you're saying, okay, they got some options. Like, in, in, in New Orleans, it's really just guys who are pieces. Like, guys who are who have speed who are running for the love of the game, right? Yeah. Like there's a there's a concept called indigo. It's a seam with a, a dig route. 
you're throwing the dig the entire time. You never throw that seam. <laughs> the guy who's running the seam, he's fast, and he's there running for the love of the game. That's what you always tell him when you're going through <laughs> route installs. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think, look, if you, you Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, and then or would you take Adam Thielen over Julio Jones and Odell Beckham and, or A.J. No, Green? No, of course and that's, not. Right. DeAndre Hopkins. Or, or no, uh, yeah, Hopkins. Yeah, or, yeah I mean, yeah. Yeah, it'd, it'd be tough to jam him into the top five, but he is very good. Uh, what We mentioned – what teams are not worth trusting? Like, what teams? Oh, I've got one for you. Yeah, who can't? They, they, they played in Dallas, or actually, technically, uh, what, Arlington. Ooh. I think that's where, where, where the big old Jerry Jones Dome is. Yeah, Jerry um, World. The Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know how you can trust them, given how Blake Bortles, how inconsistent he is. Their offensive line played poor, I thought. And, and you know, like their defense... I think you get tired when you watch your offense have so many issues and not being able to move the football. It's just, it's uninspiring. And so, of, of course, when you're playing back-to-back road games and all of a sudden the, the Dallas Cowboys, who play like they're all supermen at home, are just running the football down your throat, like, yeah, that game's not going to go well for you if, if your offense can't do anything to help put up a fight. Yeah, and I, I'm with you, too. And. You know, what they did, it, it, it feels really weird that a defense that has Malik Jackson and Calais Campbell and Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye, Yannick uh, Ngakwe, Miles Jack, that they could be caught off guard by Dak Prescott running the read option. Like, they couldn't, well, I mean. Here, here's what makes it so difficult to stop. There's a few things. One, I thought their screen game was so timely. Like, yeah. it almost, you almost got a sense that, like, they had a bug or they had a spy on their sidelines, and every time they decided to blitz, they had a dialed-up screen that was the it was perfectly executed at the perfect time. It was a little bit eerie. I mean, that might have been the best game for Scott Linehan um, the entire year as far as play calling goes. But what 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 having the zone read option or having the ability to run at the quarterback position it forces defenses to have to account for additional gap, so you don't get the opportunity to run down a ball carrier from the backside. And and the other thing is it limits the type of coverage you can play, right? Because if Dak can take off and I'm in man-to-man coverage like the Jaguars play from time to time, all of a sudden everyone's got their backs, backs and he's running down the field. Yep. That's yep. going to be an issue. That's going to be a problem. So it limits what you can do, and that's where I think they were able to kind of pick apart their zone coverage a little bit, and Cole Beasley ended up having a field day. Oh, so in other words, you go to the zone read, it causes the Jaguars to play zone coverage, and that allows Cole to do the little white wide receiver thing running around in the middle, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, you, you, you want a couple zone reads, you have some run pass options involved as well. And, and that's where you put that second-level defender, whether it's a linebacker or a nickelback. He's in what's called a run-pass conflict, right? Everything looks like a run to him. And, and what you're doing as the quarterback is you're looking at him to commit. And as soon as he takes a couple steps forward to stop the run, you're going to throw a little slant or something in behind him. And if he doesn't, you just hand the football off, and now you got Zeke Elliott in your chest you know, taking away your soul. Yeah, <laughs> Ooh, that's a good line. Uh, yeah. and, well, the other thing, too, about Jacksonville, and I think I, I agree with you that they're not trustworthy, is that – Unlike a team like the Packers or uh, the the Chiefs or the Patriots, where they have this offense that can come back on you, if you get the Jaguars down fourteen points, it's over. Oh yeah, I mean it's you get over. you get it back in the corner, take a couple more swings, and they're down on the mat, and and you can hang a forty burger on yeah. them, and you can just run the ball, which is what the Cowboys did. Um, well, yeah, Blake Bortles is going to throw footballs off people's helmets and stuff. I mean, he's going to he's going to start running a little bit and making awkward slides, like that's what he does, and I, and I kind of love him for it. Um, but, yeah, there's there's no chance they have the ability to really come back down from a two-touchdown deficit. I, I think that the Bears are an untrustworthy team. And do you know why I think so? Because Matt Nagy wears a visor with no hair in the Miami Heat. 
Like, what is he doing out there? What, how, who you know what? I, I, so I, I saw that. And here's the thing. Here's what I'd like to say about the visor when you don't have hair and you're <laughs> what in the you heat or in the sun What are you like doing? <laughs> well, here's what you're doing. I mean, I don't know about you, man, but when it's a, like a, a, you had a cool breeze on a summer night, sometimes I like to roll the windows down and let the wind just kind of go through my hair. <laughs> bald, bald people like that too, Will. That's like, don't take that away from them. <laughs> but you better believe that they like to feel a little bit of that cool air kind of go across their, their head when you're sitting there in South Florida when it gets a little windy sometimes. Just because they're wearing a visor doesn't mean they don't like to feel that or have a little bit of that summer breeze feel when you're just driving in your car and cruising. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not anti-bald here. I'm just wondering how often I would feel the need to apply sunscreen to my bald head if I was wearing a visor on like on the floor level of a, of, of SunTrust Field. It almost looks like a yarmulke, like a red <laughs> yarmulke does, on top of his head. It does. Um, I, but I do, I do think the Bears are a little bit untrustworthy. Um, I, oh yeah, I, I, yeah, a lot untrustworthy. I, I think we talked about this. We talked. This a couple times throughout the season, um, but when Khalil Mack goes down, you know he gets hurt, and the the front line of the the Bears defense start to starts to go away a little bit. They can really be they start to the depth starts to really show up for the Bears. And as as much as I like Mitchell Trubisky and think that he will grow into being a good quarterback, and I like his stats over the last two games, I don't know that he's completely there yet. And man, I mean to go down like they did and to have the lead they had on Miami and to let Brock Osweiler come back on you that's a major red flag. Uh, Almost as big a red flag as the fact that the the Bears are minus or plus three and a half against the Patriots at home this week. That's a that's a stinky line. Yeah, that is weird. Sums up with that. Uh, but it is Brocktober, so you got to expect the fact <laughs> that when when the big old six eight righty gets in there, he's going to start slinging it around for some tutties. Going to make some things happen. <laughs> Thank God they put in enough screens though. That kind of play, played to his advantage, especially the Albert Wilson seventy five yard one that helped tie it up. Um, but with Trubisky, yeah, I think it's it, it's a longer road than people realize. Where, where he, where they're going to be able to even see if he's going to be their guy for the future. I think he's got some, uh, you know, good skill set. I just, I don't know if it'll fully ever get to where I think people want it to be. Um, sometimes I feel like he's got a little, like Blake Bortles. Like mm. that's how I kind of feel like that's who he was coming out from North Carolina and who he kind of is at this point where there's these times when he has a great game versus the worst scoring defense in the NFL and the Tampa Bay Bucks who just fired their defensive coordinator, Mike Smith, today. And then he goes on the road to play the Miami Dolphins and he's, okay at best you know kind of up and down um so you know they're giving him all the pieces and he's gonna have every opportunity to prove himself i just don't know that we're ever going to be fully you know committed or satisfied kind of similar to how the jags are with with blake bortles uh but but the you know the dolphins that's an interesting scenario you know especially with the way Tannehill came up on the injury report late in the week and then once brock osweiler plays and you hear the press conference after the game then press conference on monday from adam gase it didn't seem like he was overly happy about the situation. Well, and you, and you, 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 you played, you played for Adam Gase. So I'm curious because I've been asked this a couple times. I got asked this a couple times on Monday about like, like what did he mean by that? Do you think that his comments and he and he basically said, "Well, I can't say anything for HIPAA reasons," and uh, go ask Ryan. Do you was that directed at Ryan Tannehill? Was that directed at the media? Who who was he taking a shot at with those comments? I honestly feel like it was both. You know, one thing I know about Goose, um, that's what we used to always call him back when he was our quarterback coach in Denver, is, you know, one, he, he hates dealing with anything else besides football. Like, right. he is a hashtag football guy <laughs> through and through. Like, he was telling me the story, because um, obviously I live in South Florida, so I get to talk to him a good amount. 
And he said, Stephen Ross, when he first was going to the stadium because they're doing all these renovations, he was like, oh, do you want a tour and all that? And he said, no, I got, I got game planning. I got stuff I got to get ready for, uh, for for camp when he first got down there. He goes, well, how do you know where the locker room is? He goes, I'll just follow everyone else. <laughs> you know, he's, that, he's that locked in to you know game planning, preparing his team, getting everything situated. So I think you know it's a little bit of a nuisance to have to talk to the media and deal with those questions over and over again. But I also think like his response led me to, to believe that if his shoulder or his arm, whatever's wrong, can't get any worse, that it's about pain tolerance. And I do think there's a degree of, well, suck it up and play, man. Like, mm. you're my quarterback that I, I came here to coach and took this job for, and now you're, you're telling me, like, as we get to later on the week that something doesn't feel right and all this stuff. Like, he's dealt with injuries to Ryan Tannenhill over the past two years. I mean – Basically, since the first year when he got hurt and then ended up being Matt Moore into the, into the playoffs, that's what he's been dealing with. His questions about Ryan Tannehill and the injuries and all that. So at this point, maybe he's just tired of dealing with the questions and he's just trying to send them directly to the source so that Tannehill can then explain what's going on. Mm. So in other words, it might be a little bit of two. This is what I sort of thought, just reading between the lines, and not, not knowing Gates very well, but like maybe it's a situation where he knows that if Ryan Tannehill is super cautious about this whole injury thing – then he might end up in a situation where he's coaching with Brock Osweiler and potentially coaching for his job with Brock Osweiler, right? Yeah, but look, I mean, Brock Osweiler has had success in the league. Say what you want about that. You know, maybe he feels like this point, um, you know, if they need a spark, if, you know, they they, they need someone to come in there and, and kind of, you know, change some things up, maybe they go with them for a little bit. I mean, wow. Who knows how he feels about them? Because think about it. Coach he was him a part in Denver. Sure. He was a part of the group that drafted him there in Denver. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Uh, all right, last one. We'll get you out of here on this. Browns, Cleveland Browns. Uh, are they who we thought they were? Uh, I, well, it depends on who you thought they were. I personally <laughs> thought they were a team that was more competitive and have improved, but everyone wanted to anoint them uh, that, that competitive you know, potentially playoff team in the AFC North. And, and I just think this was a reminder that they are much improved. They're not where we, we think they are, are going to be, at least not right now, right? They've got a rookie quarterback. They've got a defense that's very young and as good as they have seemed, there's going to be those weeks where we go, oh, like that, that, that wasn't the performance we thought it was going to be. So, right. um, again, they're going to win more games than they have in a while, right? It's been widely noted that the two wins they have this year are better than the past two years. Like, that is so <laughs> old and so lazy and tiresome. Uh, I just I, I hope they win a third game so, so someone doesn't have to bring that up again. Um, but I, I don't think they're, they're as good as, as people are kind of raving for them to be and saying, oh, they should be a, a four and, and one team at this point. Like, no, they are what the record says they are. Um, they still got a lot of room to go. Well, it kind of—I guess it kind of felt like the defense looks really good. Like it, like it can compete with any any team out there. This is before the Chargers game, at least. Yeah, uh, the defense didn't look good with the Chargers. Looked but yeah. Very, looked, yeah, but I mean, it, it looked like a legitimate, um, competitive top ten NFL defense that can hang with the Chargers, hang with teams like that. And if Baker Mayfield can put enough together. Then you see them just get gashed by a team like like Los Angeles. Maybe they maybe they are a little bit further away. Um, is Hugh Jackson going to? What? How many games does Hugh Jackson have to win to stick around? That's a good question, uh, and, and I wish I knew the answer. I mean, I can only speculate from my end. I, I would say you know it's probably you know playoffs or bust, you know, mm. or or winning record if they got to nine and seven, which seems unlikely, right? They've got ten games left. Um, let's say they split those right? 
that gets them to what seven wins, right? Yeah. Yep. So they're seven, eight, and one, um, and, and and maybe that's possible. And by the way, that's a hell of an improvement. Uh, I just don't know that Jimmy Haslam is going to be patient enough. It seems like there's a little bit of a, a, a rift maybe between some of the assistants and how he coaches and how they are, or maybe that's just what was played up in hard knocks, which, by the way, hard knocks is partially to blame for this because like, it's not like a lot of people followed the Browns, but there's a lot of hard knocks fans. So once they watch that, then all of a sudden the team became really endearing, and they're like, oh, there's all these personalities of people I want to watch and root for. So mm-hmm. all, of a, all of a sudden after they won a couple of games, people are like, oh, this is the team I'm going to root for outside of the team I, I grew up. Like this is my other team. And, and they're the ones that kind of hyped them up a ton when they hadn't watched the Browns as, as much as, as most people have, especially those who have been Browns fans for a while. That's a good point. All right, follow Brady Quinn on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal. Uh, check him out on CBS Sports HQ, cbssports.com backslash slash live, and uh, follow the podcast at Pick6Pod. Uh, always excited to do it, man. Talk. Uh, we'll talk again this week. Sounds good.